hi, welcome to the latest edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. I've forgotten the number again. I think we're somewhere on 32. I thought 31. 32nd, 31st. I missed edition. one in there, so I think we're 31. So, uh, anyway, we're in the 30s now. Who Read could have my waist size. This. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Murray McCormick is shrinking. <laughs> uh, he's gone from, uh, you're, he's down at least 40 pounds. Yeah, about that, yeah. So that's uh, commendable. I'm down at least three pounds from the last podcast, right. but I'm hoping to atone for that by gaining five in the next week. That's, so It's a good time of year for gaining weight. It's a very perilous yeah. time of year as far as the waistlines go, so... Anyway, um, we're here to discuss sundry issues concerning the Rough Riders of Canadian Football League. There's not, we've decided to continue this podcast through the off season. A couple of reasons: uh, one, it's been very well received. Thank you. So uh, we're going to keep doing this. And two, I think the off season might be more interesting than the regular season in so many facets. So I think it's because we're so awesome at it, Rob. Let's just give ourselves a pat on the back. We've taken this podcast from a tiny little baby that nobody knew about to this big thing that people want to listen to us. So mm. we're awesome. Isn't it? Isn't our awesomeness? Maybe not. No. No. Uh, okay. It's just the, the fervor with which people uh, uh, right. follow the Rough Riders, uh, we're we're beneficiaries of that. That's it's, very it's true. No, and I don't, I don't, nothing that we've done, exactly. as we're demonstrating, is, is really that alluring. Anyway, well, one of the things we've asked people to do is ask us questions, and we've been bombarded with questions. In fact, we have two. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is from uh, three weeks ago. Um, so uh, if anybody has any questions, please feel free to email me, uh, rvanstone at postmedia.com, and I'd be pleased to uh, uh, respond to them or have us respond to them, uh, hopefully, ideally, more than... Uh, uh, more quickly than within three weeks. Uh, yeah. Scott from Saskatoon sent an inquiry. Um, what are you doing on the air? Oh, I uh, know. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was with the mass exodus before media garbage bag day? Did anybody attempt to call Zach Kalaros and get any thoughts from him? Do you guys have access to the players in the off season? Generally, no. Generally uh, not. Uh, we can set up interviews with select players. Uh, it's generally... Uh, signings, it, it, signings, things that when a player is news is newsworthy, yeah, or, or uh, we we will have access to them on occasion on a one on one basis. It's not the rule generally. If they make player, players available, it's in a scrum or group setting. As far as Zach Kalaros, um, no attempt was made to contact him, and it probably would have been futile. Uh, yes. He he was gone before whatever it was. It wasn't garbage bag day they had this exactly, year, but. Yeah. Uh, he didn't. He did, wasn't speaking to the media after the lost playoff loss to Winnipeg, and as I understand it, uh, went back home quite soon thereafter. Yep. It was Brandon, Brandon Bridge was the quarterback who was speaking to the media two days later, and uh, I don't think Zach Kalaros was especially enamored with dealing with, <laughs> with the Regina media no. this past season. So I don't. There really wasn't much of a cause to go there. Mur, I didn't think we were wanting Zach Claire's quotes at the end of the season, but I've been around the rider beat for quite a while off and on as a backup guy and as the main guy. And it's the first time the so-called starting quarterback hasn't been available to the media on garbage bag day, which was really a surprise for me. And I'm still, did we have any better questions to ask him? Like why he didn't play or those kind of things? I guess we didn't have it, but that was a bit of, still a bit of a surprise to me. But in my dealings with Zach through the season, I'm not that surprised that he was kind of gone. He didn't play. So yeah, and we him. don't know why it was done. There was no explanation. No, there no. may be a very good reason for that. It just wasn't. Uh, no, it's, and it's just to us. one of the. And, and, uh, part but of the had issue, it been Darian Durant, we sure would have wanted to hear what Darian. Oh, and I'm sure Darian. I'm sure Darian would have been there. Had it been Kevin Glenn, 
We yeah. sure would have wanted to hear what what uh, Kevin Glenn had to say, and, and he was always very accommodating. Zach Kalaros was uh, he just a lot of the media sessions were done through gritted teeth, yeah, and uh, probably on both sides. So uh, yeah. not his fault, not ours. That was just the reality of dealing with him. Yeah, pretty well. That's you nailed it right there. It was just a strange in relationship, and I've been through a few weird different quarterbacks over the years with the rise of starters: Brett Smith, Tillerson, Sarah comes up, Drew Willie. And some of these guys just, you know, being with the media wasn't one of the things they wanted to do, Yeah, and, and which lo- is really tough because I think in the CFL, your quarterback's got to be the face of the team. He's got to sell tickets. And if he's not doing both of those things, regardless of how well he plays on the field, it's you have an issue. And I will team. give Brandon Bridge huge credit because two days after that game, uh, yeah. there were, the writers only made three players available and they, they determined which three they would be. Uh, Brandon Bridge had had a tough game against Winnipeg in the playoffs and he... It was Willie Jefferson. It was Willie Jefferson and Marcus Thigpen. And who had just signed. Who had just so. signed and and uh and and Brandon Bridge. Brandon Bridge was very good, as he always was. So uh kudos for him for doing that. It couldn't have been easy because it wasn't a fun topic of discussion. Yeah, but he handled it well. He handled and, it well. And I, I to be honest, the garbage bag day used to be a, a big day back before the access to players was limited that we would get phone numbers of guys that we could call them in the off season and that's Kind of gone so far by the wayside now that calling a guy in the off season that we have to go we go through the team and that's life in the CFL beat is and more yeah. and more teams are doing it. I had a lot of difficulties getting phone numbers too, but that didn't pertain to football and that was long ago. <laughs> really? Eh? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. enough madcap comedy. Yeah. Uh, uh, another. I apologize to the, the, You're gonna the read that? person okay. who submitted the question because I forgot to note the name, but. Uh, the see uh, people the the reader is wondering or the viewer is wondering uh, whether the uh, Ambrosi CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi and and people in the league are going to be spending uh, time monitoring what's going on with the Alliance of American Football and uh, uh, or are they going to preoccupy themselves with with dealing with the alliance or the uh, inroads they're trying to make with Mexican football uh, is this wise or could the resources be better used to help develop uh, fan engagement in Toronto and with the younger demographic in general. The reader also seems viewer reader. I don't even. It's so interchangeable now. Person is also, person is also skeptical as to whether there will be a audience for the AAF in the United States and thinks that it'll be gone in two or three years. And it may very well be, but uh, I think there's some viability to this because they've established cost controls right off the bat. There's a voracious appetite for football in the states. And uh, I think it's going to be a pretty appealing option for players. So I, I think if, there's no guarantees with any of these football leagues, but I think this one has got the best business model of any that I've seen. I just happen to be reading the USFL demise, rise and demise of the USFL right now. Jeff Perlman's Jeff book. Perlman's book is great, and I'm just into the football part, for a buck. It's outstanding, and I'm into the part of the book where the the owners are losing control of themselves. They're spending millions of dollars on players and stuff, and you can just see the sort of demise of the league. I'm not that deep into it, but it's pretty it's cool. Good. What a great book! But I keep reading that, and I'm comparing it to the A A A A A F A A F. Okay, whatever. <laughs> is doing and how it seems to be more sensible, more ownership, the more the league control. Like the, the USFL didn't seem to be the league was trying to control, but they couldn't control these. It was Eagles. Donald Trump was the yeah, uh, so I just started that chapter. <laughs> I just started that it's chapter. It's interesting. So uh, I think with the it's better set up. I like how the league is controlling things. They're also paying the players and looking after the players with a, an organizational build, ability. Like the, there's health care, there's salaries, and the things are controlled. So I, I do think it has a chance of getting off the ground. I don't think it has a chance in hell of flying. I really don't. I think 
by the way the NFL's gone now, it's so dominant. There's so much football that it gets February. I think people just need a bit of a break. And I wonder if people are going to watch it. But it has the backing of CBS, which gives it a better leg to stand on than the USFL, the leagues. But well, I don't, I don't see The USFL had a good, good contract right off the bat, though, with it, ABC. And then no one watched it. It was actually did okay. First game, wasn't it? The first game did okay. And just... We'll see. Like the appetite for football, I think can it can. As we know with the riders, you can't feed the rider fans. Enough. We're doing a podcast during the off season because there's yeah. a there's an appetite for football when they're not playing games. And it's like they're doing everything right. I just think I don't know if the viewing public is ready to embrace another league in the spring, and we'll see what happens. Especially with the XFL coming on last year, and the the person there mentioned that. I think the CFL is really concerned about this league. This is a league that can take away players, yeah. especially internationals, at a time when they're cutting back on training, on mini camps, all that stuff, due to the uh, salary operations cap. That this is these are guys who are going to have to watch, so, or maybe in the other side, it gives them an easier way to scout them. You can get to see them in plays and stuff. It, it may go the other way. Yeah, I uh, don't. I'd be interested to see how many actual CFLers go there, like who played this year. I'd be interested to see how many make that jump. You know what surprised me when I looked at their their quarter their rosters is how many really bad quarterbacks they have in this league. <laughs> They're not all with Denver. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was awful. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, I look at you know quarterbacks who are so far away from even being considered oh. for playing time in the CFL, and and they're likely to get significant playing well, time. Marquise Williams is down yeah. there. Yeah, Philip Sims. Philip Sims. Yeah. So, no Blake uh, Sims. Blake Sims. Sorry, they, there were two Simses, weren't there? Is it Blake or Philip? Which did they have both Blake and Philip up here? Maybe I know they had. I'm gonna have to Google that. We'll get on this. Yeah. This is a question I'll ask myself for next week's podcast. Okay. Yeah. The um, so it's if you look at your foundational players, you look at the quarterbacks. It's not that great, but I, I I just think they've they've got a market there that's set up to attract that middle ground of American players that comes to the Canadian Football League. The the top players in the CFL, the top American players, are still going to get better money than they could get yeah. in the States. If you're talking two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, if you're talking quarterback money, they're not going to get that in that league. Yeah. But if you're if you're talking about, gee, I can play in the CFL for sixty thousand dollars or I can play at home for more money yeah, in America in American dollars, that's where you're I think you're gonna lose that that potential yeah. access to the to the middle ground. Because I always thought when the CFL guy comes up here and let's say he makes eighty thousand dollars a year Canadian and he deals with the taxes, he deals with the uh the exchange rate. Then he's got a wife and kid back home and stuff. And by the time all the money breaks down, they don't make a whole lot of no. cash in it. It's not get, about and, the money. And they only get paid for half a year. And they, yeah, so and they only get paid for 18 games and they only get paid in the playoffs or the playoffs. So it's really a tough life to decide. If you want to be a CFL, I always kind of think sometimes the wife say, yeah, go up there, you know, give yourself a shot. But remember, you got to come home sooner or later and be grown, be, and start being a grown-up. You don't see guys, but one thing I've wondered, Mer, with with the with the new league and there's so much and the new the new football operations cap, and there's been so much talk about how this how this is going to affect scouting, player recruitment. One thing that's been overlooked is these players have agents, and these agents are actively looking to find their players, their clients, mm-hmm. places to play. So yes, you have to go out and beat the bushes for players, and you need bird dogs and that. But it also works the other way. And if there's an agent who thinks that his player can play Canadian football, that agent is going to contact yeah. one general manager, two general managers, nine general managers, perhaps 10 in a couple of years. So there is, that's not the only way to do it. And certainly you've got somebody trying to sell a player, yeah. but there's also, it's not like in a lot of cases you're finding players that nobody's heard of. If a guy can play, 
there's going to be it's in the it's in someone's best interest ultimately to make yeah. operators of teams or leagues aware of the fact that this player is out there. So the agents do have a role to play in this, and they're not just going to sit there and be quiet if they think that the yeah. CFL might be a good haven for their player. How much does a CFL agent make, though? Ten percent of let's say a, a seventy thousand dollar contract. Yeah, it wouldn't even be ten percent. Yeah, maybe be three or and five. A lot of, and some of them, I, I'm not. I've heard just do it because they they know the person or they've been friends with them. They're yeah. just trying to make sure because like Marquis Thickman or Marcus Thickman negotiated his own contract. He yeah, said he's Jeremy been, O'Day always did. Weston yeah. Dressler does now. Yeah. So I think you know some of these guys are experienced enough, and other guys. I don't, I don't want to say names, but I couldn't negotiate my own contract. I can barely sign my own check. So I think that would And be with your writing, nobody knows who signed it anyway. Good, yeah, it's a good thing. Good little thing. Nice shot, Rob. Sorry, Mark. It's, it's, it's Christmas, it's, you know. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was certainly Christmas uh, uh, if you're the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. It was an amazing. It was big Christmas if you're the Oakland Raiders, too. God. Yeah, can, how can that feel? Be, can you imagine having a, an important game like that decided by slippery field <laughs> conditions? I can't believe how they would ever let that happen. That is scandalous. Oh, I've never ever seen that in a big game like that. Jeez, it's hard being a Steelers fan. So. Item, Corey Chamberlain yes. is a head coach again in the Canadian Football League. Not a surprise. As soon as he was, I think he was at a Raptors, was it a Raptors game they took him to? Yeah. As soon as the Argos prospective head coach ends up with a really choice seat for a Raptors game, uh, you're probably going to see see that person be the next Argos head coach. I, I think he'll do well the second time around. Yeah. And he did well the first time around. Yeah. Uh, he's a yes. great cup champion here. He just kind of, like I remember in 12 and 13, Corey was a great coach. He understood the family. He pushed that big family aspect of the team. He got he pushed the right buttons with all the players. He got all the guys to do. And somehow in 14, he kind of thought he was the smartest guy in the room. It, something changed there. I, I still remember I saw him on TSN doing this ground, general manager's coach's round table. And he said he wanted to be known as a defensive coach in the CFL. That one in the CFL. Well, lots have done it yeah. before. Don Matthews did it. Yeah. So I was <laughs> Wally thinking, Bono did it. Think, okay, that was kind of a, a weird thing to say. But then that 14 season, he just, I don't know what it is. We, and then 15 was 15 just. 15 was ugh. just an absolute. Hey, Ray Early, you're our punter. Let's kick a 64. <laughs> let's attempt a 64-yard field goal. Yeah, it was just uh, 15. And that, but I'll, I'll give him, and I'll always give him credit. I know I stood there now after that Ottawa game when he brought in Tino Sinceri, and he answered every question. And people wonder about that. If you want to be a reporter, you try grilling a guy who's 0-9, and it's just about you know he's going to lose that his was job. It. You knew it was it. And he stood there and he answered. And no one asked any other questions. I still remember that day. No one asked another question. They just let me go ahead. And and I had to remember, and I, I maybe let me, I had to keep thinking, okay, I can't get him to say no comment because as soon as he says no comment, he'll walk away. So I had to keep asking questions with, with breath, breath, depth, and and other things. And it was, he answered them all. And I was, and since then, I've called him up on the phone a couple of times. I've done interviews with Corey, and he's talked about life, and he's never – he did turn us down during the – up leading into the semifinal – final, sorry, East, last year, but that says he's too busy. And I could give him that. I can give him that. There You're was, a coach in a nine-team league that nobody two hours south of where the coach is residing yeah. even knows it exists. Like – Sometimes, sometimes the people in the CFL need to get over themselves and realize bit, yeah. they aren't the National Hockey League. They aren't the National Football League. Uh, it's a gate-driven league. They need to get their message out as much as possible. And the media point. is a conduit to the fans. So they don't get that very well. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's not a lot of sellouts in the Canadian Football League anymore. That's a big thing. Especially in and the playoffs. Market. Especially in the playoffs. As I touched up a little bit earlier with Zach Claris not really me selling the team as a quarterback. Looking back... As Darren Durant, Darren Durant never, I, don't, I very rarely said no comment. Unless you really hit a nerve, he had an answer. And he had good, articulate 
and reasonable answers. Yeah. Kevin Glenn had long answers. But Kevin Glenn, Darian Durant and Kevin Glenn spoiled yeah. us for yeah. for ge- generations. I we, still remember meeting Kerry Joseph at the airport when he came here in 14. Is that when they brought him in? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, 20, came back in And he looks up and he smiles and chats away. And just, yeah. you know, I, I can only imagine some other quarterbacks going, oh, geez, I'm not even signed yet and the media is on me. Well, come to Regina, that's what happens to you. So back to quarterbacks selling the game. Rob, I'm going to throw this at you. What do you think of the salary cap, front front office salary cap? Have you written about it yet? <laughs> have, you, have you had any opportunities to write in Saturday's some, paper, Monday's from, paper? I think today's story carries over till Tuesday's paper? It's, or that's gonna it's be... basically the second book that I'm working on right now. Oh, so good. It's, yeah. uh, it'll, it'll, is, it, is it a salary cap or is it a dunce cap? Tell me what you think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I think I get the feeling I'm in the minority in this one. I think you are too. Um to me, it's basic common sense. If you're going to impose a, a, a salary cap on players, why shouldn't you have one on coaches, general managers, play, uh, personnel people, etc.? Especially in a league where it's never going to be an easy go. And there's some, there's some, maybe, you know, in Saskatchewan, especially with this cash cow of a stadium, profits are guaranteed, but it's not that easy of a ride in other places. And I think you have to be conscious of the fact that one or two or three tough markets could bring down the whole. Yep. whole operation and if you look at my look at bc that's certainly having its struggles montreal could very quickly become a crisis area um and toronto is well documented so i, I think you need to have some controls in in place to ensure that there isn't a continual game of one-upmanship and as soon as the riders hire this many people then the other team feels compelled to hire this many people and it just becomes an arms almost like a there's such a proliferation there that it the finances are out of whack. Plus, I think the players deserve the big salaries more so than the coaches and general managers. And if uh, if you were to look at the top twenty salaries in the Canadian Football League, I don't think enough of those salaries would be would be those of players. I think you'd have a lot of GMs, you'd have a lot of coaches in there. It's time to pay the talent. And if this if this creates a, a situation whereby some of the coaching salaries are reduced and if they take some of the savings that they realize from the football operations cap and use that as they should to increase the cap for football players, then maybe the players can get their fair share because right now they're not getting it. Yeah. Well, I think it's also one of the first salvos in the Canadian, in the collective bargaining agreement. They're saying, okay, we're controlling our people at the top. Now you guys have to talk with, with the CBA. I think it's part of it and tied into that. I find it interesting, and we're reading between the lines here. You and I have been around a while. I've never seen teams releasing, putting out press releases now announcing coaches aren't coming back. This is a new thing yeah. for me. Maybe maybe it has, and I'm just sort of overlooking the fact, but I don't remember seeing this sort of tra- this transparency on a guy. Mike Benavides leaving because of the salary cap. Mike John if Murphy. If you choose to believe that. If you choose <laughs> to believe that. John Murphy, they never really said it was a mutual parting of ways. There's only one reason they part ways is the salary cap. And Montreal let a whole bunch of guys go supposedly and stuff. So, And maybe in a little subtle way, if football operations people can be subtle, they're saying, you're going to make us do this. We're going to let people know why we're doing this. Where in the past, Mike Benavides, rightfully wrongly, that was a pretty talented Eskimos defense that didn't do stand up very well. And yeah, didn't make would he have playoffs. been back if not for this cap? No. I have questions. Would, would John Murphy have been back? Probably. He was signed, but... You and I talked about this the other day. You thought he took a ten percent. He refused to take a ten percent pay cut. And I don't know if you're in the position. I don't have another job if I don't have a ten percent pay cut. So if I don't make, I know I make a, whatever I make. And if I don't take that cut, what do I do? Well, I got to work, so I take the cut. 
that we don't know what his options are. Yeah, it's very ethical and very. I admire his principal stand. This is my contract. It was signed. Good for you. I'm not taking a pay cut. Players are asked to take pay cuts all the time. And they do all the time. How many did we hear about? How many pay cuts? Like, well, Dominic Picard. Well, well, look at Weston Dressler. Bonuses. They, they offered him a, a nominal salary before they let him go. I presume the same was done with John Chick. Yeah. And uh, that didn't work. Like, Darian Durant was asked to take a pay cut. Darian Durant took that's pay a, cuts. That's I always, I was watching the uh, goodbyes and farewells to Wally Brown. I want to get on to my point in a second here. We don't have points here. But, you know that. And uh, I always thought, okay, Wally Brown would be sit there across from say. I want you to take a pay cut and then the next breath, but I want you to play for me. That's tough. That's tough. And they've been doing, Wally probably one of the best at balancing it. Maybe one of the best in the league ever because he still managed to do it. But so that's another, I don't know where that, I don't know where that goes, but it's just something I want to I, I, What I want to know is, is if you look around the league, uh, are the presidents taking pay cuts? Oh, I would doubt it. Are the people who are, who are in the in the office? They, there's a lot of people around the league uh, making good salaries who aren't in football operations, who are on rosters. Are they taking cuts too? Yeah. Because nobody, I wrote, wrote that nobody pays to watch the coaches, but the coaches put the players in positions to do well. Yeah. Nobody pays to watch a president and CEO. Are they taking a pay cut? If they are the force behind this, and, and there was a president's committee that that advocated this in the first place, are they willing to uh, make themselves subject to the same pay reduction that uh, they're imposing on others? I know. We think, I was also looking at the fact there's 11 coaches, and what leaves them 13 or 14 other people to do this stuff. I don't think it's too bad to ask. They don't. Do you need like I remember in 13 they had two defensive backs coaches. Even this year, they with the Riders they had. Uh, you know, they had Jason Shivers and Brandon Isaac was back there coaching the defensive backs. He's called a quality control guy. Do they need 15 coaches? I think it could be all be done. I think 11 is a fair number to do it. It covers off all the positions, gives you a coordinator. What it doesn't do is give you the opportunity, I know it's brought up, to bring in the younger guy to get an opportunity to learn about the game. But a lot of those younger guys come in and do it for free anyway because they want to learn about yeah. the game. Now they've capped the number. That makes it difficult. Yeah, so it would have been a salary would have been more sense. I, maybe. Yeah, just give them a, put them a number out there. Yeah, say, if you want to pay your DC, you know, the whole cap, go ahead, and then I'll bring in 10, 10 uh, volunteers to help out. What I wonder is, is, will this actually create a situation where young coaches will get more of a chance? Because if you're looking at the cap, the head coach is still going to make good money. The GM is still going to make good money. And the and the, the director of player personnel is going to still going to make good money. And the coordinators. So you But you may have a situation where you're going to have to squeeze in a bunch of salaries that are, aren't six figures. Yeah. Does that create opportunities for younger coaches as opposed to denying them access to the CFL? Because they can't walk in and expect a hundred hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year How maybe much? there's maybe you're maybe you're giving them an opportunity and not just as virtual volunteers an opportunity to get paid nominally uh, in, in a sense though where does the capologist fit into this imagine you've just said to the capologist who spent his whole career dealing with player salaries and now it's okay now here's the whole other batch of front office salaries. and so, is the capologist salary part does of, that fall into the cap, cap in the cap i know <laughs> I know the riders have them, and we, we, I can't really name for sure. Jerry Davis, the Mike Davis is another kind of guy who did that stuff. And you can, and I was looking through the list of the names of the riders, and there's another guy who's a, a football coordinator. Like he's like their travel secretary, Jordan. I think I can't remember his last name. I know it's Jordan. And you've got to have that. You can't operate a CFL team without a guy looking after travel because it's so many guys going flying in and out, charters and things. That's that's an important position. 
that has to be handled. So is that can't count under the cap? I'm assuming it is. What I don't get, why, and I know this has been expressed elsewhere. I heard Rash Mandani talking about it on CKRM the other day. Why is the equipment manager under the football operations cap? Exactly. That There's no way that should happen. Yeah. And some media no guys sense. aren't in football. Oper- some media guys aren't under football operations caps with some teams, and some other teams they are. It depends so, how you classify that person. Exactly. Just, so who they who they gray to. Did, Is it going to make the league better next year or worse? Who knows what's going to happen? Because I really think it's going to be dominated by the CBA talks and these whole pile of free agencies. If I can throw my two cents into the CBA, get rid of these one-year contracts. This is just. This is looking at the free agent list again. This morning, I'm going like this is just. It's almost. Hinges on embarrassing that here's a league that's trying to build teams, trying to build continuity, and there's 300 plus names out there. The thing is, aren't and the players essentially working on one year contracts anyway? Even when they signed game contracts, even when they signed for two or three years, that was providing that the team wanted the player to be yeah. around. What Weston Dressler signed for four years? What good did that do him when exactly. when management decided well, they Chamberlain wanted to? And Brendan Tamman both you know, signed for four years. You know, <laughs> but they got paid. Yeah. for the duration of their contracts. The players' contracts are basically a year-to-year proposition anyway. I'm wondering if the one-year contracts might actually be beneficial in terms of comp- competing with the Alliance of American Football and other leagues that may yeah. sprout up now because if you're an American player and you're thinking, I've got to commit myself for two years to the Canadian Football League because the one-year contracts don't, don't apply to that first-year contract. That's one and an option as a minimum. So will that be an impediment to players coming to Canada because you're thinking, well... I don't know if I want to lock up my services for two years. The team can make op- make decisions on players year to year. Yeah. The player doesn't have that option if he's coming point. in here. So is I there guess. also a case for, for expanding the one-year contracts to new players in order to be able to compete with the Alliance yeah. of American Football and who, what other leagues I guess, people look, are How do you develop a team and you only have a guy for one year? It's like drafting a new fantasy team every, every year. year. It's true. Like someone said to me the other night, do you have to do fantasy football? I says, no, I live my fantasy football stuff looking at these guys and you know, like an example is Josiah St. John. It took him three years till he finally got on the line to play and can contribute. How much he contributed? A little bit, but took he did him pretty well when they put him in there. And it took him three years to get ready to play. Yeah. So how, he didn't do himself many favors as far as the holdout hurt him. <laughs> but he also had some bad injuries. He came in. I know this year, and people are going to say he came in this year in good shape, and the day before training camp pulled his hamstring. That's what I understand. So stuff happens. Big guys pull hamstrings. It's one of those things, but. Uh, he, how do you develop players? How do you work that? So I think if the, if the development of the league and the development of players, they've got to look at somehow longer contracts. But most of the riders' receivers are under contract, I think, for another year. Well, Naaman Roosevelt's a free agent. Yeah, but he's a, he, he deserves that. He's earned that opportunity to, to see how much money he can get. But from George Williams team. Lambert's back, and yeah, and, but, uh, and, and most as for the, of the rest of them, whoopee. <laughs> most of the offensive line is back. You know, somehow that, and we keep. I know I keep harping on the, the scary part of free agency, but Jones has somehow locked down that offensive line. They've got the fewest prospective free agents of anybody in the league. Yeah. It's, Except what, the quarterback. What, what would once upon a time have been a large number <laughs> is, nothing. is now is 26, a, a yeah, small 20. number compared to some that are pushing or exceeding 40. Yeah, we could go there on the free agents. Maybe we could say that for our Christmas edition next week and well, spread the cheer of that. I around. have to go and do an interview. Do so, you? So we have to end this so I can do my interview. It's... We're, we're um, uh, it's Christmas leader post Christmas cheer fund season, and I'm working on a story uh, of that uh, description. So your Christmas cheer stories are inspirational and make me cheery, even though if, any, kind of if, if that's topics. possible, I'm, I'm glad. Kind of, but anyway, you really really meet some amazing, resilient people there. Can Not, we just sort of bemoan our Steelers and Broncos for a couple of seconds here and just hey, it, uh, 
Denver Broncos lost to San Francisco. Those two and ten teams are tough to beat. <laughs> yeah, I guess cute. the Steelers can sort of relate they, what, with what happened against uh, the Raiders. I don't understand what they're doing with Big Ben on the sideline for four series with this guy who marries his voice to me. Who's their backup quarterback? I had no idea. And then Dobbs, I thought, the, all right, Dauberville. Dauberville. Pittsburgh he, is now Dauberville. More like, more like Robberville, and poor Ben was on the sideline. He did everything except on that crappy field. And I don't know. Could be worse. You could have three offsides trying to block one field goal. If that could ever happen to a team. Well, Vaughn Miller had three offsides for the Broncos uh, yesterday. So Okay, well. Anyway, I have to now read the uh, – we we face termination if we don't read this. So, Murray – Read this. If you don't, uh, if you don't read this correctly, you're we're terminated. All right. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It helps us grow the podcast. Other than our bodies. So there, our obligations are complete. For uh, well, fill out your email address again. If oh yeah, if you'd like end. to ask us any questions, such as why on earth are you still doing this? Why did you I'm get at, to the end? I'm at uh, <laughs> rvanstone at uh, postmedia.com. That's rvanstone at postmedia.com. Uh, we'll do this uh, once more before Christmas and then resume in the new year if you'll still have us. For Murray McCormick, uh, what remains of him after, after losing 40 pounds, I'm Rob Vanstone. Thanks for being with us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.